I'm going to go ahead and just jump right into the text for this morning, which is in Luke chapter 11, continuing in Luke's gospel, and we're recalling the fact that Jesus is, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem with his friends, and this is how Luke tells this story. Now, we've seen Jesus inviting them to begin to ex- to have a, an imagination of seeing the kingdom of God revealed in places and ways that they had not imagined. And then that he gives this instruction to Martha and to Mary to choose the better part, to not be worried and distracted. And then it, here in chapter 11, it happened while Jesus was praying at a certain place. And so Luke reveals something about the lifestyle of Jesus, that praying is as normal for Jesus as, you know, this isn't, it wasn't like a one-off sort of thing. Um, it was a normal rhythm of his life. That's worth taking note of. And so then, uh, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Another item worth noting, of all the things that are recorded that Jesus' disciples asked of Jesus. Like, would you teach me how to preach? Would you teach me how to tell parables the way that you do? I mean, you really got this ability, Jesus, to tell stories. And the, the only thing that's recorded that his disciples ask is that they, Jesus teaches prayer. They, they recognize there's something about Jesus' communion with his Father that they want to take note of. And then I want you to notice the next thing that Luke says. Um, You see, Lord, Lord, teach us to pray as John's disciples uh, taught him, his disciples, and he said to them, when you pray, when you pray, three words, Jesus is recognizing not an if, but a reality, that following him it's a rhythm. It is a reality of your life. When you pray, so say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us uh, not into temptation. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing. Worth circling that. I have nothing to set before him, and uh, from inside he answers, he says, Do not bother me, the door has already been shut, and my children are already in bed, and I cannot get up and give you anything. But I tell you, even though he'll not get up and get him anything because he's a friend, but because of his persistence, he'll get up and give to him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. But everyone who asks receives, and to the one who knocks, or excuse me, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, suppose one of you, uh, you, you fathers, ask by his son for a fish, He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he'll not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your own children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit 
to him who asks. Amen. I want to talk to us this morning. The title I've given the message this morning is Being There. You know, there really isn't anything that takes the place of of being there, being with somebody. I remember when my parents, uh, how meaningful it was for them to begin to not just hear about but actually experience the privilege of being able to pick up a phone and talk to their relatives in Holland. And, um, you know, up, up to that point, they had to depend on the handwritten note that would take at that time, at least three weeks to get from point A to point B. And so it was really, really meaningful to be able to pick up the phone to hear their voice. And uh, now, you know, now we have this ability to connect over video, and, um, you know, we're able to sit down together I, and share together. I'm glad that that's even become a regular part of our uh, time. I'm noticing that I need to reset that there. Uh, that's become a regular normal expression of our fellowship. Uh, That's good. It's meaningful. I'm grateful that we had that, especially during the lockdown. And yet there are moments in our life that a phone call, even a Zoom call, well, you guys remember how tired you begin to feel trying to sit in front of a Zoom call and talk to somebody? Because there's something that that's lacking in that that uh, that inability to actually physically connect, and to just be there in person, and and then I would say there are other times when you're going through things in your life that I would say a phone call or a Zoom call just feels like one more thing to do. Angie, do you? I, I want to encourage you if you can uh, mute the sound on the computer. That will, I think, hopefully, my, my, my ear gets distracted there. But I, after hearing the news of our imminent um, stillbirth, uh, we had gotten the news that the, the child that Denise had been carrying had died. There's no heartbeat. I remember feeling a call from my boss, and then the phone started to ring, and I just didn't want to answer it anymore. Uh, From my boss, from my mentor, and he tried to comfort me over the phone, and then also filled me in on the fact that he was on holiday, and I knew where he was at, about an hour away, but said he wouldn't be able to come. And so by the time that I, and and for me, it was just the, it, it just became something like, I'm, this is, this is becoming difficult for me. It's one more thing. And so when I got on the phone with my dad, I wanted him to be aware of where we were, what was going on. And so I jumbled out something like this. Um, dad, I, you know, I, right now all I know is we just need to get through this. And frankly, we just want to be left alone. And, you know, and because, up to, to, again, my, my point being, I don't want a whole bunch of people lining up at my door. I, 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 we wanted to just try to figure out how to walk through this. And, and so that's, that's how I was responding to it. So we made arrangements. 
for our two boys, and then we headed to the hospital. And after the longest labor and delivery Denise ever had, uh, finally, Dylan was born, and we were trying to comfort one another and holding our lifeless boy. And then the nurse came in and said, there's people standing out in the hallway. And I informed her that we were not prepared to receive anybody yet. And she said, I think it's your parents. Which I was startled because apparently, after hanging up the phone, my father informed my stepmother what I'd said. And her reply was, I don't care what he said. We're going. You can come with me or I'm going by myself, but we're going because I want to hold our grandchild. And so after driving nine hours, and I don't know how long they stood in the hallway, I opened the door, and suddenly I was met with something that I didn't expect as they broke into tears and embraced us, but more importantly, without hesitation, walked into the room and embraced our lifeless little boy, their grandson, and rocked him and cuddled him and looked at him and joined us in this moment. And, you know, for years, my stepmother was my stepmother because she wasn't my mom. But in that moment, she became my mom, not by her words or her effort, but because she was simply standing with us in our pain. Without saying anything, she said everything. Everything that I needed to hear. Everything that Denise needed to hear. And trust me, we heard some really silly things. See, there really is nothing that takes the place of being there, often without words, just setting in the messy, in the moment, in relationship, in presence. You know, I, I know I've shared parts of that story with you guys before, but see, I, I know all of us have had moments because that's what life is filled with, disappointments, difficulties, that no matter how much we try, we can't change it. Sitting at the dinner table when I was 12 years old and my dad announced that my mom had incurable cancer and might live another 18 months. I mean, moments that we find ourselves reeling, and, and then these kind of words come out of our head. I guess all that we can do is pray. Now, I've often found that to be a troubling statement because the truth is, if we're really honest, what I'm saying when I say that is, I wish I could do something else. But since I can't, I'll pray. 
And I, I don't know about you, but often even those prayers have felt like they were, they didn't make it into the wind column. My mom did live more than two years, but she died. Now, to be clear, I, I want to say when people say, you know, we're, we're sending you our thoughts and our prayers, it, it, I don't think it speaks about a lack of caring or empathy. But when we make a statement like all we can do is pray, I think it speaks to our lack of revelation about prayer. And so that's what I want to talk to us about this morning. Prayer, we are told, quote, works. Or what's the statement that we hear often made? You know, prayer changes things, right? The world starts changing when people start praying or so the song goes. And, and here's what I want to just put my finger and poke it in that statement in the eyeball just a little bit because at its most base expression, it speaks of a theology about prayer that's a little bit more like the Coke machine down the hall at work. That, you know, you, you fumble around, you find the right change, and you make your selection, and, and we get what we want. And I've heard it said almost that bluntly. Ask, and you'll be given to you. You're just not asking right. Get the right change. Plead hard enough. Long enough. Fast more. Everyone who searches finds. You didn't get it. You must need to search more. Knock, you're not knocking enough. So we, we fumble around for the coins, our beliefs, our good behavior, our relentlessness. We tell God what we want and expect to get what we ask for. I've heard it said that plainly. Now, I'm here to say, by the way, as a word of relief for everybody. All of that seems to work fine in our head until it doesn't work. Because, by the way, that Coke machine down the hallway, it works great until it takes your money and doesn't give you what you ask for, right? Wait. Right? And then we shake the machine. Nah, you've never done that, right? Maybe even kick it. Maybe even add some words to convince the machine how mad you are that it took your money and we push the button again. We did our part and we expect the machine to do its part. And often our theology isn't too far off from that. And I have those that I've known that struggle with anger hurt, betrayal, their faith, leaving the church. I got the coins out. I did what I was supposed to do. Luke 11, Jesus' disciples come to him and say, Lord, teach us to pray. First thing I want to say is this. God is and never will be a Coke machine. 
prayer, beloved, listen to this. Please hear this because this is not just about prayer. This is actually about theology that we've often had a, had a, whether it's a silent track in the back of our head or a noisy one, we've heard this track. That, that, that transactional thing, you do your thing, God will do his. Prayer's not about a transaction. It's not even about a transmission of information. Hey, God, in case you missed it, I'm in need here. Prayer, beloved, is the primary place where I am reminded that God is my answer. His presence, His life, His love, His beauty, His generosity, His mercy, His compassion, His forgiveness, His justice, His, his wisdom and mercy. The point of prayer, beloved, is that God gives God in relationship and presence. And that's the answer that I need. Because there's really nothing like someone being there and being reminded that someone is there. And that, beloved, is good news. You know, over the years, I was thinking about this message over the last few days and thinking, oh, Lord, help me. I don't want anybody to mishear this. But see, often we've, we've put prayer into this column. I've, I've been in prayer ministry over 30 years now. And we've had, we've had folks, you know, where you, where you put it in like the prayer column and then you've got the answered column and the unanswered one. I'm probably the only one who's ever heard that, right? You know, these are the answered and these are the unanswered, and that's the only categories that we seem to find. And by the way, if you haven't heard it this morning, I'm, I want to invite us that that's not the columns. Those aren't, it's not it. See, I, I've, I've seldom had people that have come up to me and said, why did my prayer get answered exactly the way I prayed it? Now, when it does happen, we, re, we do share those as words of encouragement, and they need to be because it reminds us of what's really real, that God is present and is at work in our lives, and it remains true to this day. Amen? All right. So Denise and I are in church. Uh, we have a couple that comes in, and if I remember right, it, was in it might have been in between services or it might have been after the second service. I don't remember. It was, you know, it was one of those hot, sweaty uh, mornings, and this couple comes in with a desperation on their face. Uh, I know a little bit of their story that they've lost children to miscarriage, and they come before she, her belly is huge because she's got twins, and um, they come in weeping and in tears because it looks like it's happening again. The bleeding has begun but we wanted to come to church first before we go to the hospital. Would you pray for us? And we did. Those twins just graduated university. That's awesome. And then a couple years later, I'm praying for my wife. And I prayed for her. More during that pregnancy than any other pregnancy, with words, with whispers, with the cry of my own heart, 
when she said, I haven't felt the baby move, when she went to the doctor, I prayed, when she called me in tears, I prayed, and my prayer, I listen to me, my prayer was longing for a different result than what was in front of me. When Denise held our little baby, she'll tell you that she simply said, God, all you got to do is breathe. Just you can make him breathe. Fumbling around for our coins. Pushing the button again. Please. Please. And we get through labor. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock. And see, the truth is, we've all pushed that button and we've all seemingly lost our money. You know what I'm talking about? Now, what I don't want to do is somehow try to give cheap answers as to why. We're in a broken place, a broken world, broken condition. I do believe there's a power and mystery that God is revealing in all of it. I don't have good answers or explanations. I've heard a lot of bad ones. The day afterwards, literally the day afterwards, after a doctor came and said, a doctor who I don't think was even a Jesus professing Jesus follower just came to my wife and said, there's people going to say a lot of dumb things. Right after that, someone came in and said, pretty much to this effect, am I right? If you had enough faith? Yeah. Or, or maybe you're asking for the wrong thing. Or you've not asked with the right attitude. Or here's some other doozies. You want to hear some other doozies? It all happens for a reason. So something better must be going on. It's all the spin that we try to put on it. Was, I mean, the point is we're all trying to spin it out to bolster our Coke machine ideas. The worst the worst one I got echoes of was, well, they must, God must have known he'd have just been an absolute hellion, so he just gave him the shortcut to heaven. Like, what kind of God do you have in your head? That's a monster, man. Toying with you like that? You see, my point is, it's time for us to begin to say, wait a minute. That whole transactional Coke machine idea, that's not only bad theology, but it's hurtful to you, hurtful to others, and it's a really messed up understanding of a good father. And oh wait, Jesus said in this passage, ask, seek, knock, and oh by the way, you have a good father. So maybe it isn't about the coins and the buttons Oh, yeah, there was another man in a garden who pleaded, Father, let this cup pass. There's another man who wrote a better part of the New Testament, said, Lord, take this affliction from me. So prayer changes things. 
Maybe it's not about the coins. Maybe it's not a transaction or, or us giving some information to God that he didn't otherwise know. Maybe prayer changes things because it changes us. It changes me. And, beloved, I, I want this, I, I, I want to be really careful in how I say this around other folks. But, see, I, I believe in the calls to prayer, but these calls to prayer that sound something like this. When we pray, it's really going to get good for us out there in, in, in you know, the city. Like, oh, ew. prayer is about changing me. It's not about a transaction where I get to get control of God and get what I want. It's, it's about transformation of me, beloved. Maybe in the midst of our not knowing and not understanding, our best cry would be like the disciples, Lord, teach me again to pray. And can I just say this clearly? His disciples grew up in a culture of prayer. And Jesus' life was a life of prayer. So what they saw that was different, they said, ah, you know, Jesus, talk to us about this. And when Jesus talks about it, interestingly, he doesn't give like formula. Pray this amount, and this will be the result. He doesn't, he doesn't like say, here's the right amount of change, and that's the right button. Instead, Jesus said, when you pray, here's what you're praying about. You're praying about a relationship of a God who is present with you. It's very simple. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone indebted to us. And, and don't bring us into a time of trial. You pray that in less than 30 seconds. You use Matthew 6, you know, the, the version recorded in Matthew 6, about 60 seconds. It's not an abundance of words. But here's what it is. It's being reminded about what's true. Father, oh, wait, I have a father who loves me. So the reality that Jesus acknowledges is that before we ever open our mouths and fumble around for the coins, we have a relationship that already exists. We have a father who's come to meet us. Prayer is about relationship. It's about presence. It's not about telling something God something that he didn't already know. It's about reminding ourselves of what already is and has always been and always will be. That's why I love that confession of the early church. Glory to the Father as it was in the beginning, it is now and will be forever. If you then know how to respond to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give Note what Jesus said that he's going to give. Holy Spirit, which means himself. The answer, according to Jesus, is God. And yet we so struggle with this. I didn't get my prayer answered. Jesus said when you pray, you're being reminded of what's true about God and yourself.
It means that our life and our existence and our way of being comes from this Heavenly Father who gives me my daily bread, who delivers me from evil and the evil one. Prayer reminds me that, you know, I, I made note of that, you know, that illustration that Jesus gives. I had a friend who came to me in the middle of the night, and I don't have anything to give him. It reminds us that actually I don't really have bread, but he does. So if, if prayer as Jesus is teaching it is about presence and relationship, then there is only one answer to every prayer. It's God. Prayer changes things. If the answer is God, then God is the answer. You know, perhaps the greatest difficulty in prayer has been how much we still want to reach in our pocket and push the button. I'm going to share something about this that is not meant to be accusatory, but an invitation. When I'm reaching in my pocket for those coins and I'm trying to smash the button, I wonder, do, do I want God or do I want something from him? Do I want God or do I want to change my circumstance? Do I want God? Do I want him to change me? Teach me to pray. So, beloved, I guess the, the encouragement of the morning would be, what would it be like for us to walk away from the Coke prayer machine of our life and not spend so much time and energy trying to control or determine what the outcomes are going to be? Lord, I don't know what the outcomes are going to be but I believe you that you'll be present. So remember that answered versus unanswered column? My mom died. Is that unanswered? God was present with us in all of it. And see, this is a revelation that is slowly but radically changing my personal prayer life. Um, there was a time when I used to say, man, I don't want to, you know, pray rote prayers. That's dead and dull. And uh, I, I, I was all about wanting to pray passionate prayers of saying, God, we need you. Well, I want to say this, that my prayers these days are, it isn't that I don't, please don't mishear what I'm saying. I still pray for the needs of others by name and the world around me. But it's no longer a passionate rehearsal of my needs and the needs of others. It is a predictable rehearsal of what is true about God. Oh, wait a minute. That prayer that Jesus said, this is how you say this. Our Father who art in heaven. It's a predictable rehearsal about God and then about me. It's less from a posture of reaching for the change in my pocket to push a button 
And watch this. It's more about opening a door to discover my father standing there. Right where I'm at. Right where I'm at. The father who said, I'm not content with a phone call or a letter or a telegram. I'm coming to you. This is Jesus' prayer for us in John 17 when he talked about the Holy Spirit. He said, I want them to know that the love that you have for me would be in them. The point of prayer, beloved, is that God gives God in relationship and presence. And it's all the answer that we need. There really isn't anything like someone who's there. And that is good news, beloved. I want to close this morning with, a, with a, just a short poem and then invite us into the Lord's Prayer together and then we'll go into communion following that. But this is a, this is a prayer slash poem to God. Okay? That though I may not see, may I be aware of the God who stands by me? That though I may not feel, may I be aware of the mighty love which follows me. That though I may not respond, may be, may be aware that God, my Father, mighty God, waits each day quietly, hopefully, persistently, waits each day and through each night to be there for me and me alone. I want to invite you to stand with me. I'm going to invite us to come to the table. The table is that predictable rehearsal of what is true. That's why Jesus invited us to it. Lord, we thank you for your life given for us. He doesn't need to be reminded. He knows that it was enough. He proclaimed it on the cross, and that word remains true to this day. Done. Finished. So let's pray this prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil and the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.